You ready? Let's do this. Back to the podcast, the Oklahoma podcast show, which is an initiative of the Tracking and Evaluation Core of the OSTTR, where we highlight the processes of CTR research in Oklahoma and those who support them. Today, I have um, Dr. Tim Van Wagona. He's not a stranger to any of you listening to this, right? He's the Associate Director of the OSCT, OSCTSI, with a focus on basic biomedical research, pediatric infectious diseases, and bioinformatics. It holds leadership positions in various institutional awards, including being the deputy director and program coordinator of the Oklahoma Shared Clinical and Translational Resources, which is the OSTTR. As the PI of the OSTTN, um, he's been funded extensively by various organizations, including the NIH, and his efforts are really directed towards implementing so many things in Oklahoma. For example, um, long cancer screening in rural primary care practices through combined clinical trials and research projects. He's done extensive work in just, you know, expanding CTR in Oklahoma. Please join us in welcoming Dr. Van Wagner to the podcast. Hello. No, thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> really, really um, happy to have you here. So let's start from the basics. Um, where and how did you grow up? Oh, well, I grew up in, uh, in Montana, actually, in, uh, in South Central Montana, not far from Yellowstone Park. Oh, that's, that's far away from home. <laughs> yes, I'm, 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 I'm far away from home, both in terms of distance, but also uh, general yeah. environment. Uh, you know, obviously, we don't have um, uh, mountains nope. here in Oklahoma, nor uh, do, do much of the wildlife eat yeah. you, but yeah. that's okay. Were there any events in your upbringing that influenced your decision to pursue a career in research? You know, uh, that that's a really good question. Uh, you know, I don't come from a background of, of family members that really went to college. Um, uh, neither of my birth parents even graduated from high school, but, uh, uh, you know, um, I, but I did, you know, I, I was not a wonderfully great student in, in high school. Uh, I was more of an athlete. Um, but I also kind of realized that uh, the only classes I really liked were classes like calculus and physics. And so, you know, maybe I needed to become a scientist, um, you know, because those other things uh, just weren't things that captured my attention well enough to, uh, you know, study really hard for. Now, when I went to college, things changed a lot. Um, so I went to college. I uh, got got really excited about um, uh, about science, and particularly, uh, I I'd, I'd started out wanting to be a, a physicist, but uh, just took a biology class as a general ed requirement, and um, really fell in love with molecular biology, uh, and so. Uh, that fascinated me so much. And so when I was taking my undergraduate courses, I was, I was blown away by that there's a guy named Krebs that found all of these, you know, proteins that are part of the citric acid cycle or, you know, those sorts of things. So, so that really led me to decide I really wanted to go to graduate school uh, rather than other options. Well, um, this is one of the reasons why I love this question, because you just never know um, people's story unless you hear more about them. So, I got to know a lot about you just from that um, response you gave. So how did you find your way at OU and um, why this particular institution? You know, I, uh, I, I, I went to, uh, uh, to a, a local school here in Oklahoma um, called Oklahoma Christian University. And when I graduated from there, I, I figured I would probably end up going back to Montana for a while and not sure uh, what I was going to do. Um, but then I had applied to graduate school in uh, microbiology in Norman, and they offered me a, uh, a graduate teaching assistantship. And so I, uh, I jumped all over that because I thought that was pretty cool. I, I wasn't really big into public speaking. Um, turns out I was really good at it, but was always kind of nervous about it. So, um, you know, starting out as a, you know, a fresh college graduate and now teaching, uh, students was, was, was pretty neat. And I got my first opportunity to teach a, a full lecture course uh, the summer of my first uh, year in graduate school and, and really fell in love with all of that. 
Um, so then um, the professor I was doing my PhD under uh, left uh, OU. And so I kind of was in this crisis mm-hmm. mode. <laughs> so I had, I had probably everything I needed to finish my, my PhD. Um, but a, uh, but I just needed to, uh, you know, finish writing really, uh, and maybe one or two more experiments. And so I was fortunate that, um, at the time I was, uh, working on Haemophilus influenzae, uh, a bacteria that, uh, depending on the form of it can cause everything from uh, meningitis to, uh, uh, being one of the leading causes of ear infections. And so what I, uh, there was a, um, there was somebody here at the Health Sciences Center that also was an expert in Haemophilus influenza, and that, that was uh, Dr. Terrence Stoll, who was the chair of pediatrics. So he said, hey, come on up, and you can do whatever experiments you need to do and, uh, and finish it up. So very quickly, they offered me a, a postdoc, and so I started my postdoc, and well, not really finished with my PhD yet, but I was able to do both and, 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 and wrap that up. Um, and then uh, I've just... Uh, I, I, I really like uh, the environment here. Um, um, there's a lot of other things uh, related to that too, but uh, you know, I, I do think it's a, a great institution, and I'm really uh, loyal and committed to seeing what I can do to make it better, rather than to just constantly change um, and move somewhere else to find you know something that might be marginally better in this one area, but perhaps worse in another area. I, I like to build things, so I. I, you know, I mentioned that my family does yeah. not really a, a, a college family typically. Uh, so my stepfather and my brother and others all are, are, are contractors. Wow. So I come from a, I come from a building uh, background, and so uh, I do I do enjoy conceptualizing and, and building programs. Interesting. As I was preparing for an episode with you, I had to you know look you up on the internet. And I saw your name on Oklahoma Christian University as a professor of biology. I'm like, what are the odds that in Oklahoma with the same first name and the same last name? But I wasn't sure if it was you. So thanks for clarifying that. So let's talk about your role within OCTSI, especially um, in basic biomedical research. For those who are not very familiar with what that is about, can you just, you know, give us some short tidbits on your role as the associate director? So, um, yeah, you mentioned the, the Oklahoma Christian University. So, you know, I, I had mentioned that I really mm-hmm. enjoyed teaching. So, um, you know, while I was a postdoc, I uh, uh, I'd, I'd done a couple things. I knew I I didn't want to spend the rest of my life at a at a research bench as a molecular biologist. I liked it, but. Um, you know, I was really frustrated because a lot of my research required human samples and, and in particularly some really hard to uh, acquire samples. Uh, you know, I worked in otitis media, which, are, you know, is, yeah. is inflammation of the middle ear. And, you know, it's trying to get human samples from that. And, and even earlier in my career was doing some work in, in cancer. And, you know, it was, it was always difficult to get enough samples to develop new technologies, uh, which was what I was doing. Um and so I, you know, I was a little frustrated about that, the fact that there wasn't sort of this infrastructure that made it easy. Uh, you had to find the right person and hope they had the time and, uh, uh, and that, that they would help you to get the samples and, and, and that sort of a thing and, and hope that you didn't need too many of them in, in order to develop your, your, your techniques. So, um, so, you know, I was a little frustrated with all of that. Um, I was also a little, you know, I knew that no matter what I wanted to do, I needed to have more business experience because, you know, you go through a, a bachelor's degree and a PhD in, in sciences, you don't really learn about marketing and, and um, you know, general administration, HR, things like that. So, so I started working on an MBA uh, at OU also. Then, uh, you know, I, I had gone to give a, a talk at my alma mater and they said they had an open faculty position and since it's local I, I i assumed that you know i could you know try to uh, maybe do two things at once to, you know fulfill that love of teaching uh that i have um also with getting some more experience in administration as well as uh to continue to do research 
So I took a, a, a position as a, an assistant professor at, at, at my alma mater while maintaining a, a position here as a research assistant professor in, in pediatrics. And I continued doing that for quite a while. I very quickly got tapped to be the department chair um, because of the other experiences I had. So I, I got the, that opportunity. Uh, and then when the OSCTR was initially funded, I had worked with uh, all of the uh, other investigators that had put together the original uh, applications to develop a CTSA site for Oklahoma. That's a clinical and translational science award that replaced the old GCRCs on campuses. So I'd work with Hal Schofield and 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 uh, Tim Lyons and and, and Judith James mm-hmm. and others to develop those original uh, applications. Um, so when the OSCTR was funded, uh, Judith James, who's the yeah. principal investigator, uh, came to me and asked me if I would like to uh, be part of getting it off the ground and starting this new translational science institute. So that's what I did. And so ever since, um, you know, we've, we've, we've built this infrastructure that, you know, turns out to be exactly what I was always frustrated about not having. Um, and we're still building obviously, but, but to have a core of, of, you know, clinical research assistance and, uh, uh, and bio, uh, biobanking, you know, and, and so forth, and the bioinformatics resources, and all those other things that really help make a successful uh, organization. I mean, I think the moral of this story is just how you've taken something, like you said, your pain points, and finding a way to make it work, but also building opportunities for those around you. I think that's that's very impressive. Thanks for sharing that. You know, I, I would say, you know, one of the th- things that was, you know, I, I mentioned uh, that, you know, my my major professor uh, left uh, during my, my PhD and, and and I don't blame or anything, but yeah, that was a, a bit of a crisis at that time, um, you know, uh, because he, he, he left to go to a, a, a private uh, yeah. a company that was doing a bunch of DOD work. And so there was no way that I could really, uh, you know, follow and complete my PhD in that situation. Uh, but, you know, I'd been in this environment in which we kind of run out of yeah. not having enough funds and yeah. it's the struggle of that. And being by myself, really, just with a professor, uh, you know, that was my major professor. And so team science, uh, when I came here to work for Terry Stoll, you know, he had multiple professors in his lab, um, you know, research assistant or research associate professors. And I got to be part of teams and f- see mm. what that's like uh, and have lots of people you can run ideas b- by. Um, and you're not entirely dependent upon, you know, most of yourself and just your, 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 your professor, plus having, you know, more money to do, uh, you know, when you have a grand idea and you want to do something, having access to the funds to do that. So that was, that was great. So that's the other thing about, the OCTSI is we are all about yeah. team science and bringing people together. And if you look at what my CV is and what I work on now, they're not necessarily exactly. things that I'm yeah. well trained on. Um, you know, we, I, I now do a lot of research in, in uh, community engagement and, uh, and practice-based yeah. research out in yeah. communities uh, and, I bring certain skills to that, but I'm not a clinician. There are clinicians that bring their skills to that and, and so forth. And we have, you know, we have people that are trained in statistics. And all that. I think it's great that when you can bring together all of these different uh, individuals with, with interests or experiences that are very different from each other, bring them together to make a, a, if you use a baking analogy to make a cake, that's much, much better than the individual yeah. components would be. So true. So true. I think that's a very good analogy. The rich cake with different layers and different flavors. Um, so let's go. Yeah, I mean, parts of that cake are usually pretty good, but if you like, you know, like, you like a chocolate cake and you try tasting yeah, yeah. cocoa, <laughs> cocoa isn't very good on it. You know. Oh, uh, uh, let's talk about OSCTR, which is the Oklahoma State Clinical and Transitional Resources, right? You've been involved as the Deputy Director and Program Coordinator. By the way, first of all, congrats on the recent five-year refunding. Yeah. So I had two questions to that. Tell us more about the resources that are available and how they support researchers in Oklahoma through translational 
research effort. And then the second bit of that, which I'm able to repeat, you know, once you're done with the first one, just in case, will be with this new funding, what are you most excited about or even looking forward to accomplishing considering the similarities to your previous work? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, the, there, there's a couple things. The OCTR has its, as a, as a National Institutes of Health funded IDEA CTR. Um, it's part of the overall IDEA program at the NIH, which is a program that funds uh, institutional development in states, in, a, in about half the states in the U.S. that have a tradition of having relatively lower uh, uh, success rates at getting NIH funding. Um, so Oklahoma is one of those. Now we're a very successful mm-hmm. idea state, but uh, you know, for for those listening to the podcast, there are a number of other mechanisms that people I know in the state that are that are part of these same uh, the same program, including the Inbrays and Cobrays and others. But the CTRs are are, are are pretty special, and so there's two two components of that um, that I think. Uh, are important. Not only what we do as a CTR and the infrastructure we build mm-hmm. locally, but also being part of uh, of a nationwide network that brings together uh, researchers from institutions mm-hmm. just like us. Um, so on the first part, the OSCTR itself has a lot of, of great resources to help build um, uh, research. There's a lot of things that people don't know that we do. Um, there's the things that people are really, really uh, familiar with, like our pilot grant program, in which we funded uh, more than 15 uh, uh, junior investigators so far and helped them to uh, develop their research careers. And that has led to now, uh, I believe, more than 70 million in independent wow. uh, NIH funding that those individuals have now received wow. over the past 10 years. And that's really exciting to be part of these individuals' first. Uh, you know, NIH uh, awards, um, you know, that, 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 that's very special. And, uh, you know, in these cases, we're investing, you know, in their projects, but, but, but more and more than anything, we're investing in these individuals uh, as individuals and wanting to see their careers launch. So the pilot grant program uh, is great. Uh, You know, we've got the biostatistics, epidemiology and research design core, which a lot of people uh, have utilized. They've helped, uh, helped on more than a thousand projects uh, to investigators across the state, not just here at OUHSC, but our tribal nations and other institutes across the state. And uh, we uh, we have a, a professional development core, um, which provides um, a lot of different ways for people to get additional training uh, in um uh, in clinical and translational research, uh, especially those that may have a clinical background, but unlike me, didn't spend a bunch of time at a bench and learn how you know formula, uh, formulate uh, research plans and, and so forth. So you know that's a that's another great program. Um, we have a community engagement and outreach program that's been absolutely so um, impactful in the state and. Uh, we could we could spend hours talking about all the things that that's mm-hmm. led to, but we have a lot of partnerships with Stevenson Cancer Center over that. Um, partnerships throughout the state with with tribal nations, the Public Health Institute of Oklahoma, uh, and others. Then um, we have a clinical resources core, which um, is is a is, is a really a great um, opportunity for individuals to get assistance in clinical research. Uh, you know, the, the boots on the ground in many ways to help get the samples that, that they need, processing, you know, regulatory mm-hmm. support if you're trying to uh, transition your research um, from the bench eventually to the bedside. Uh, and then uh, finally, uh, and excuse me, and as part of, of all of this work, uh, you know, the, the continued ongoing work that we're doing for developing things like REDCap, which yeah. You know, most people don't realize the OSCTR is behind the, the red cap in, in a partnership with pediatrics here. Uh, and then also uh, the development of uh, an implementation of the different things we have around the clinical trials management systems and uh, and new things that we're going to be doing, you know, with new EHR rollouts and that sort of thing to help facilitate uh, data-based uh, clinical research. So, uh, and then of course we have our, 
our evaluation core and that that yeah. you're part of and uh so things like this podcast but but also you know building infrastructure for evaluation um you know we don't have enough capacity in that uh, in that case not just for uh you know grants like the OSCTR but when you bring all the idea programs together plus other really really large institutional awards uh, that are in Oklahoma it's great to have evaluation not just because it's required but because it tells you you know it helps you uh to tell your story um but also to identify the areas in which you're not really meeting yeah. your your goals uh, or perhaps your goals are incorrect because that's not really what's ultimately needed. So that's the OSCTR in a nutshell. But, uh, and I mentioned there's two components of it, not just what we provide locally, but we've been part of some really large and, and great uh, collaborations across the country driven in many ways by the COVID pandemic. Uh, the pandemic's been terrible. I mean, there's no question that it's been an awful experience for everybody. That having been said, uh, it has provided a lot of opportunities for the OSCTR and other CTRs across the country to grow together around a around uh, uh, shared needs and, and foci. Uh, and so, you know, we've we've been one of the most successful uh, groups across the country to rec- to recruiting people to the NIH Long COVID Study. Um, we've been some of the leading uh, institutions in uh, in acquiring data for it's called the National COVID Cohort uh, Collaborative, which is designed to help try to t- take all that medical data we have and figure out what's what was really working for the pandemic, um, you know, uh, as well as who was most affected. So, you know, hopefully next time something like this happens, we can do a much better job at um, identifying the uh, the the best treatment modalities potentially treat a disease um, as well as uh, who needs to be focused on as the yeah. most vulnerable in the population. So lots of great things like that. And we've got other collaborations coming. Um, but uh, just being part of large networks like that means that we're not relying only on OU uh, and what resources we have here, but there may be resources at the University of Nebraska or West Virginia, or Mississippi, or somewhere else that, uh, you know, there, there's some expertise there that, that they have that we don't, and expertise that we have uh, that they are in desperate need of. And so we can collaborate together in order to uh, to help our, our very similar populations among our states. That's impressive. I think that's really a full definition of team science and leveraging, you know, um, strength, within state to you know come up with something beautiful. Thanks for even going into in depth details about the different cores and how they can be quite supportive of um, investigators. With the pilot funding, I can imagine being an early career investigator, how that would come in handy. And even the mentoring as well and just the availability of so many resources. So thank you for that. Now, what are some of the planned collaborative around um, specific clinical trials and also clinical staff training that you have been involved with? Yeah, so we've got, you know, we do have some plans. Um, we have a current grant out there uh, that uh, uh, has had a just-in-time request, and that's a collaboration with West Virginia and other CTRs to develop a, a clinical coordinator training um a network, which would be pretty exciting, not just to train clinical research staff, um, you know, here at OU, but, you know, really at any of our partner institutions. So hopefully we'll, you know, we'll make some progress on that. The NIH has, has uh, done a lot of work in in developing something called the Diamond Portal in the last uh, couple of years. Um, we'd like to implement more of that. Um, you know, but sometimes doing that sort of thing requires you to, you know, you know at least aggregate activities within an institution. So, um, you know, right now we still are, are, are somewhat siloized with respect to, to those, those, that sort of staff um, activities. And so we'd like to do is, you know, to eventually, you know, collaborate with some of the larger centers on campus that do clinical research to make sure that, uh, you know, staff all have, you know, adequate um 
training and uh, and peer support and, and so forth that's necessary. So that that sort of thing is really exciting. And the more clinical trials that we do, uh, you know, the more staff get uh, get experience in, in working and everything from these large NIH you know trials like Recover that you know we have we were recruiting like eighteen thousand patients across the country to you know a small trial that uh, that we'll be launching soon uh, around. Um, uh, you know, that, that's still a multi-network site, but it only involve, you know, 10 or 12 people around a particular um, a drug, uh, 10 or 12 people locally around a particular um, nutraceutical to help deal with long COVID. So we got all of these broad groups of things that, that, that we're working on. And then the other side of that is obviously on the faculty mm-hmm. side is, is you know, we, we do need, uh, we always are in need of more clinicians interested in being part of clinical trials. And so one of the things we want to do here as part of the OCTSI, not necessarily OSCTR, but the OCTSI is make it easier for clinicians to be involved in clinical research by them not having to do everything. So as I mentioned, I'm not a, I'm not a clinician, but I am a PI on a lot of clinical trials. Yeah. And so what I do is I do all of the <laughs> annoying work. The beauty you know, of it, the, the beauty you know, yeah, the, the, the you know the busy work, and uh, you know, and then the clinicians can see patients yeah. and do the other things like that, but don't have to be as concerned with, uh, you know, filling out all the paperwork or trying to manage the staff yeah. And, yeah. and things like that. Okay, that 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 helps a lot. Thanks. Um, in your position, especially the many hats you wear, I can imagine it's not always a walk in the park. Are you able to share with us a time that was one of the most challenging for you? And how you went about just navigating that? Oh wow, that's a that's a good question. Um, you know, there are times. Anytime you have a large grant submission, probably, um, or a couple at the same time, um, you, you get better at it as your, your career goes on. I would say early in my career, I I probably struggled uh, with that, and, and and I already had mentioned, you know, especially when my. Uh, Mentor <laughs> left, uh, you know. But you know, uh, you know, every every grant, every small grant would seem like this a huge big deal. Um, and uh, uh, now I, you know, do grants that are substantially larger than that, and sometimes they're a big deal, and sometimes they're not. Um, uh, you know, I don't know. I I hate to say this, but I'm probably one of those people that I, I would as a as a young person, I was an adrenaline mm-hmm. junkie sort of person. I loved sports. I liked doing, you know, whatever, skiing off a cliff or, 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 you know, riding a bike in a way that was probably inappropriate. So I'm probably lucky to be alive, <laughs> but I suppose in some way I, I, yeah. I rely upon that stress, <laughs> the stress of a grant or something else to, to truly, uh, you know, feel alive maybe. So, uh, I, I wouldn't say there's probably, you know, anything other than maybe a week before something's due that I could say that there was ever a, you know, a time other than that, other than either starting this institute up with, with Dr. James or, um, or that, you know, where we were brand spanking new and trying to, you know, even figure out how you get telephones on campus or something else like that. Um, you know, that, and, and, and again, the aforementioned, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, early thank part you. of my career. Thank you. Thank you. So let's talk about, Let's talk about Oklahoma. Oklahoma is unique in the sense that most of our, like we have a larger portion of um, rurally, federally rural designated land. And I imagine it, pose, it poses a unique challenge, but also the uniqueness about it is that there's more work in the community that needs to be done. And I know you've done quite a lot of work in bridging communities together, especially the tribal nations. Uh, for those who might be mm-hmm. um, venturing into a research area where they're not familiar with or working in populations that are not, you know, part of how they grew up, what are some tips that you could share on bridging the gap, especially when you're coming from academia and working in the community and giving just how sometimes those two entities, we as academics, we need to do a lot of work in improving the trust and improving communication. What are some best practices in working with um, those special populations in the context of Oklahoma being very rural? And that might not be something very easy to navigate. Oh, no, that, yeah. Uh, number one is listening. That's number one thing that's important to do and not being an academic 
I'm going in there and, and I know everything and whatever you're doing is wrong. Now, sometimes what's going on is wrong, but that's not, you know, that's mm. not always the case. Um, you know, so listening to what, um, you know, what a community really needs and really wants. Um, that was a, you know, and, and we're, not, we're talking about any community. Um, we oftentimes think of community-based re- research as only being, uh, you know, marginalized communities or, uh, you know, the home community that's, that, 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 you know, like a rural community or African-American community or, or American Indian community. But in reality, everything's a community. Um, you know, your, your peers are a community. Um, you know, if you're talking about something in primary care, I remember early in my career thinking of all these tests I would develop and this, this great thing would help you be able to do X, Y, or Z um, in, in a clinical practice. And you could, you know, this, this would be easy and you'd be able to, you know, figure out this, you know, whether this person has this rare disease or whatever else like that. You know, that's not, that's coming up with an idea and asking somebody else to, uh, some other community to uh, to adapt to what you think is the greatest thing without recognizing and sitting down with that community and saying, you know, do you want this? Is this feasible? And so, I, you know, I bring up something like primary care. You know, you've got 15 minutes max with a patient. You don't have time to do everything. You don't have time to 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 isolate everything possible from them or, or anything else like that. Um, and the same is, is true of, of uh, you know, any other, um, what we normally think of community-based um, issues. If we're talking about a rural community, American Indian community, you need to know what they, what they want and meet them mm-hmm. where they want. To be able to do that is not coming up with the ideas yourself and then going and finding partners to work with you. It's having partnerships and figuring out what those partners want. Now, that doesn't mean you don't help help them to shape those ideas into what is possible or, you know, what funders are, are interested in funding or things like that. But you have to have those uh, communication uh, long before you developed uh, a grant or proposal or something mm-hmm. else like that. Uh, if you really want to be successful and you really want to make an impact on community, I like that listening and then also asking yourself if you build it, would they come? So in- incorporating them and involving them every step of the way. Those are really good tips to to live by. Um, yes, partners. Partners aren't somebody who comes in at the very <laughs> end of something and says, "Oh yeah, we'll provide you <laughs> patience or. You know, or we'll distribute information for you. Partners are people that are that are that are part of something, you know, from the beginning. So true. So so true. We're rounding up, Donna, but I had like a, a couple more questions. So, can you tell us about a significant milestone or breakthrough in your career that stands out to you? And I imagine this is very, very hard because you've accomplished so much. <laughs> yeah, I probably, I probably sound like uh, you know a uh, someone who is highly tra- traumatized. Um, but finishing that PhD after my my, yes, my, yes. my mental lab, you know, and stay and honestly, in some ways, staying in science, wow. I was burned out. Um, and uh, I was looking for other options. Um, uh, one of those was I, I was all prepped to go to law school and potentially do patent law. Now, would I have enjoyed that? No, I'd have been that weirdo they leave, you know, mm-hmm. the, that, that nobody wants to talk to because he's, you know, uh, he, he's doing this other kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, I, I was pretty burned out on that. But, you know, getting I got really excited about being part of a, of a team um, and uh, um and, and helping to get some some grants and uh, you know I had a, a, one small issue where I wrote a where I wrote a, a fellowship grant uh, to the NIH and it got triaged mm-hmm. immediately without a score or anything else simply because they said I was in the same roughly the same environment that I'd done my uh-huh. PhD in because you know it's the University of Oklahoma well the University of Oklahoma Norman and, and Health Science Center mm-hmm. are not the same thing but so you know that was a little depressing but then we turned around and 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 uh, um, uh, the, the colleagues uh, took that same idea um, and, and we yeah, were able to yeah. uh, 
Yeah, Get It Funded as an R01 with Ooh. almost a perfect score. And so I wasn't, I was just a, you know, a co-investigator instead of being the PI. But that told me that there were Very ideas yeah. Um, yeah. that I could have. Yeah. And, you know, just finding the right place to sell those ideas, you know, was, was important. I, I think that's always the case with any of these things is, uh, is to not mm-hmm. give up. And it would have been easy for me to give up, but I'm probably too bullheaded on that. So I think that's probably the uh, most exciting uh, or, or, or milestone that was probably important for me was, you know, really sticking, sticking it out. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, seeing a couple of those ideas get, get funded early. Uh, and then after that, obviously every time the OSCTR has gotten renewed or some other, uh, big award um another big one was uh the oklahoma pediatric clinical trials network when we got that funded and it it had another uh exceptional score and that was pretty pretty exciting so thanks for sharing that especially with your um, grad school moment and the r01 i imagine that was a confidence boost finally able to get that funded um so let's talk about just the future of clinical and transitional research in oklahoma what are some of the areas you hope to make an impact in moving forward? Oh, you know, lo- long term, and th- these are always hard that you as, as an evaluator know this. Um, Oklahoma is always near the bottom of yeah. the country in yeah. terms of overall health. And there's not, you know, we, we, we can't fix that as, as an institution uh, or, you know, as a, a single grant. Uh, nevertheless, we can continue to help move the needle forward. Um, so I think continuing to do things uh, like we did at the early, you know, w- once the opioid pandemic was was recognized, you know, we've been part of multiple studies, whether it be helping primary care, care clinicians better understand how they should uh, address pain management in patients. You know, we've been working with a number of grants related to that or um, uh, help babies um, with uh, that are uh, born with mm-hmm. neonatal mm-hmm. opioid withdrawal sin- syndrome. We've been doing a lot of work on there. You know, we can we can make a difference here and there um, with long COVID. We have a huge pr- proportion of our population um, that, uh, that has uh, dealt with that. And if there are things that we can do uh, both locally and nationally to help uh, alleviate that. Um, and then, uh, you know, we, you know, continue to have um, uh, what I suspect will be issues with vaccination, not just for yeah. COVID. My biggest fear is that the vaccine hesitancy that developed during COVID will lead to a re- reduction in the uptake of all the other vaccines. Uh, again, I come from a pediatric infectious disease background. I, I, I'm, I'm fearful of what happens if measles and oh, mumps right. and yeah. rubella and polio or any of these come back in our population. Things that we whipped, you know, as, as and are are some of the uh, most important successes we've made in science in. Uh, in history, um, the fact that kids no longer routinely die in 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 their uh, early period from preventable diseases is, is amazing. So, you know, I, I want to make sure that we are there, knowing this could happen, that we are prepped and primed and ready to help try to address that. And so, so we've got that in the general overall health, but to continue to see the major advances we're seeing in. Uh, addressing health disparities in Oklahoma. We've got a long ways to go. There are some things that have gotten worse, but there are other areas that, that hopefully are getting better. But to help our, uh, our, our populations that have health disparities, and that includes our, American, our large American Indian population in Oklahoma, our African-American um, population, yeah. um, uh, our rural population, and we'll expect to see as that population begins to age more, certainly more health disparities occurring in our mm-hmm. Hispanic population. And so all of these areas are areas we want to make sure that um, uh, uh, that we are identifying the areas before they become yeah. so big and so problematic that it becomes almost intractable to address. Wow. And I, I like how you, you tied the unique 
challenges we have to some of your future goals as what you're excited about. I think it goes to show just the passion you have for making those impacts and building things that work and last long. So thanks for sharing all of that. Um, the future is AI, as we've seen, with you know um, the emerging of hyperintelligence. What's the future, would you say, about of biomedical research and its integration with AI? And um, in what ways is OSCTL actively preparing for this paradigm shift? You know, I don't think we're anywhere near ready yet for that. Uh, on our on our perspective, we certainly need to do more research uh, in that area. Um, uh, I uh, where I can see some of the biggest impacts on that is um, on the healthcare IT aspects and the, potentially in the diagnosis of disease. Um, AI can only do so much when it comes to uh, you know research. It can't come up with new ideas. Um, it can't do the bench science. Uh, you know, it can't collect the patients. It can't do all those other things like that. Um, but it could certainly help us to, um, you know, we've got an enormous amount of data out there if people are willing to share it. And uh, um, that obviously is a political question that goes far beyond this sort of thing. But, you know, we here in Oklahoma, we... Uh, have an opportunity with a statewide health information exchange to have data. And if we can figure out a way that protects people's yeah. privacy, which I'm sure they have done and other things like that, it, if people would understand that we could use that data to advance people's health overall. It, it's, it's a huge opportunity. And that's where I think AI, one of the places where AI can help a lot is to help identify patterns um, in health that, that um, you know, maybe, we didn't even know we need to ask a question about. And uh, uh, so I think that that's great. And, and I'm sure we'll see a lot of uh, the use of AI, especially to help uh, to diagnose and potentially treat uh, rare diseases. Yeah. I mean, if you think about how long it typically takes for somebody to get certain diagnoses after their initial encounter. Uh, mm -hmm. encounter with a clinician. It doesn't matter if you're talking about Parkinson's or, mm -hmm. or lupus or, uh, you know, you know, lots of different mm -hmm. things like that. Um, you know, if we could use AI to help better identify, um, you know, the cancer risk and things mm -hmm. like that um, based upon uh, the environmental exposures and, um, and, and so forth. I think those yeah. are those are big areas. This unfortunately is not an area of expertise for me, but uh, uh, you know I might be getting too old to take on uh, you know learning something new. But uh, but no, I, I'm I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm also somewhat scared though, in in, in ways um, not for me as a researcher, but just as society because yeah, you know, there's a little bit of it is when when you see how quickly it can mislead. Um, it's only as good as the information that's in it, and if you put if you're taking a bunch of bad information in it i've seen enough little experiments where somebody asked a question and it turned something completely right, yeah. you know bad out there so so you you know as long as people are going to be end up being very careful about the data that's being trained on these ai models i think i think they're really exciting i think it just reinforces that we as humans we're still going to be the, the gatekeepers for making sure that the utility of it far outweighs the risk that comes out of it i mean yeah. Yeah. The problem is, it's, it's sometimes hard to decide who's you know who's going to be the gatekeeper. The who's going to be uh, the judge, the jury, no. and the executioner? Uh, we've we've <laughs> we yeah we certainly see that we certainly see that uh, you know uh, people there there are uh, people out there that have differing views yeah. on certain facts, yeah. Yeah. and so you know yeah. if, if you know people only trust the data if they trust the so gatekeeper. True, so true. So true. So we've, we've talked a lot about our professional life. As we round off, I wanted to know, outside of your professional work, what are some of your hobbies or interests that you enjoy pursuing? Oh, wow. Uh, you know, um, I, I still do I still do a lot of woodworking and home improvement stuff because of my background. I still enjoy yeah. doing that sort of thing. Um, but for other hobbies, um, I love to fly fish. It's about all I know how to. I, I don't know how to do fishing? any other types of, wow. of fishing. <laughs> fly fishing, yeah. So, um, the the thing I love about fly fishing is 
Um, it's something that you have to, one, you're out in nature. Um, there's several places in Oklahoma that great, you can do great fly fishing here in Oklahoma. Um, but you, it's really hard to focus on work or think about work or do anything else when all you're thinking about is where you mm -hmm. want to place that fly. I don't mm -hmm. care if I catch a fish, yeah. I don't keep them anyway. I always release them. I use barbless hooks, all that stuff. But uh, I just enjoy being out in nature yeah. and enjoying nature. Uh, so that, and, and I do love to okay. play golf. So. Okay. Fly fishing, that's, that's very interesting. Um, on a lighter note, if you could choose one superpower to aid you in your research endeavors, what would it be and why? And it's my last question, by the way. Okay, yeah. superpower. I, you know, I'm, I'm, this is kind of embarrassing. I have, I have never read a comic book in my life and I've only seen a few superhero movies. So I don't know what all the potential possibilities out there. So somebody <laughs> could say this, you know, something, you know, super awesome. Like, why did I not choose that? Um, I don't know why I'm, I'm, I'm the worst science nerd. Uh, I guess, I guess if there was a superpower to, uh, never forget anything you learn. Oh, wow. That's a good one. For someone that doesn't really do it. I don't know if that's a real, I don't know if that's a real superpower. And it's probably a super curse too, because there are yes. probably certain, I mean, it, the brain, it's very important to, to not remember something. And as a scientist, it's super important to be able to go, you know what? I, I failed 90% yes, of my time. Yes, and, yes. Uh, and the fact that I could turn that off and continue going yeah. to work every day when, when your work is a failure. But no, no, I'd, I'd say if, if every time I go to a seminar or read a paper, if I could retain all of that information, yeah, that would be, that'd be super awesome. <laughs> That's a very good one, actually. I was really credited for that. And like one of my um, TV, my favorite TV personalities, Monk, he's a detective. He would say, it's, it's a blessing oh, yeah, and yeah. a curse. I, I like you <laughs> Yep. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, yeah, that, uh, I already have a pretty good memory, but I do realize as I get older, it's, yeah, it's fading yeah. some, but, but yeah, just, just, just the ability to, to, to retain stuff about so many different areas, not just the areas of expertise, but, you know, to, to, to know something about, uh, you know, all these different areas, um, you know, you, you sit through so many different seminars and other things like that, and you think that's really cool, um, and you remember part of it, but you don't remember enough sometimes of it to, to actually uh, implement sure. it. So. I want to say thank you. I've learned you know, so much about your processes and just even tapping into a tiny bit of your mind and things you're excited about and how you got started and the way the, the, way, the work you do in bridging communities together and expanding resources for early career investigators like me and even for most senior you know, colleagues as well. just want to say thank you so much for your time and I know I'll bring you back again, obviously, but I don't know what capacity, but we definitely have to bring you back to explore, you know, uh, more of the work you're doing. And yes, yeah, just want to say thank you. This was a very, very enlightening episode. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you very much. And I, you know, I, I feel very strongly how, how great this opportunity is uh, to, uh, to have a podcast like this and to be able to share stuff. Uh, you know about scientism so that in many ways you guys that that your listeners whether they're scientists or or anybody else will get to know each other a little bit better and and you know i mean how many other people on campus know that i love to fly fish exactly. Probably not that many, now so. maybe you might even have friends who might want to um fly fish with you as a result of this podcast probably i, I imagine i'm gonna have some people say hey next time you go out uh you know would you oh. can i come with you there we go then anyways thank you so much team and enjoy the rest of your weekend Absolutely, right. Mo. You take care. Bye. All right. Thank you for joining us on this insightful episode with Dr. Van Wagner. We hope you found his expertise and experiences in biomedical research and clinical trials truly enlightening. His dedication to advancing translational science and improving healthcare outcomes, for me, I found out very, very inspiring. So as we conclude this episode, we encourage you to stay curious and continue exploring the exciting advancements in CCL in Oklahoma. Remember that your support and engagement plays a vital role in shaping the future of our healthcare system. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast for more inspiring conversations with experts and those who support them. Thank you for being a part of our community, and we look forward to bringing you more informative content in the future. Until next time, keep striving for innovation and making a positive impact in the world of research. I remain your host, Dr. Mo. Bye for now, and take care.